0: good to see everybody this morning. I'm glad you're here. You want to get out your sermon outline. It says wisdom is kind uh, at the top. And um, before we get too far uh, into it, notice I've changed the title of this sermon from wisdom is good and kind to wisdom is kind. I did that because in the Bible, the word good is used several different ways. Sometimes it's used as a synonym for integrity and wholeness and other times, uh, as a synonym for kindness. Um, Sometimes it's used to describe who you are, and sometimes it's used to describe what you do. And so, in order to keep uh, from getting confusing, uh, I chose today just to use the word kindness. So, certainly a great need in the world for us to demonstrate the wisdom of being kind. Uh, Before we get into it and read uh, scripture, uh, two quick announcements. Uh, I think this is Tammy's last Sunday with us. She's moving to Hagerstown. We will miss you. You can come back anytime. Next Sunday would be great. Um, but uh, you're always welcome. And uh, I do want to note uh, uh, Claire Gardner lost her father this week unexpectedly. The service is Monday in Manassas. And uh, please be in prayer for Claire and Tom. All the extended family, particularly Claire's mom, uh, Donna, if I get that right, and uh, Michael Mang, who's another PCA pastor, will be doing the service. But please remember tomorrow to pray uh, for Claire and her whole extended family. Uh, We greatly appreciate that. I have a lot of scriptures today, um, but I'm going to start reading one, and we're going to get the others as we go through. We're going through Proverbs. So it's more of a topical sermon. I don't do that often, um, but this summer we're sort of looking at what does the proverb say on different topics. And I found as I went through it, I kept throwing more and more scriptures in there. So it's only about half proverbs uh, actually. And by the time I kind of figured that out, it was too late. I was too far in. So uh, but I want you to think, I thought this one was sort of a good summary verse on this topic. What do the proverbs say about kindness? And it's proverbs twenty one verse twenty one. It says, whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness, and honor. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, this is your word and we need it. We think we're people who are good and kind, and sometimes we are, and sometimes we aren't. Use this word this morning to get us to consider your wisdom. Help us to ask how we can better demonstrate your wisdom by how we live. And so we pray by the power of your Holy Spirit that you would make us people who practice kindness as part of our everyday life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you. You know, um, I happen to own a few books, um, just a few. Um, and uh, over the years, I have read uh, lots and lots of books on counseling and various counseling issues. And to be honest, I found most of them very frustrating. And uh, that's because first, most of them are theoretical, focusing on why something happens, and and that's important. And sometimes, some of them, they'll go over the biblical teaching on that particular issue, which is a good thing, but often they're lacking in sound application. And, And second, I find them frustrating because few of them agree. Uh, Leaving you to choose between four or five counseling books all written by people smarter than you. And uh, so uh, I've tended over the years to shy away uh, from them because I just can't figure out which one's right. Um, But over this last year, I've come to appreciate books by an author named John Gottman. And uh, he wants everyone to learn how to make their marriage work. And his, he says, my goal is to be like the guy who invented Velcro. Nobody remembers his name, but everybody uses Velcro. And uh, now Gottman's not a Christian. He's a conservative Jew. But his books on marriage, while they're not overly uh, religious, they often mention spiritual and biblical material. And lots of people have read him and thought that he was a Christian. Um, but more importantly, his books are immensely practical. And uh, I found that to be particularly helpful. It came to my attention uh, about a year ago. There's a lengthy article in the Atlantic Magazine on what makes marriage work. And I've listed it uh, in the footnotes uh, there and uh, actually mentioned one of his books, Seven Principles for Making Marriage Work. He has probably a half dozen or a dozen books, or a whole bunch, a zillion articles. Um, my favorite... <laughs> looked up his articles, and my favorite title was How to Make Your Marriage Last Longer Than Kim Kardashian's. Uh, I was like, that's awesome, because it was like 18 days or something like that. Um, the, uh, but anyways, this particular article in the Atlantic Magazine focused in on what makes marriages some marriages last and some marriages fail. And uh, it was about his research, John Gottman's research. And for the past 40 years, Uh, He studied thousands and thousands and thousands of couples in this quest to figure out what makes relationships work. And Together with his wife, Julie, who's also a psychologist, they founded the Gottman Institute at the University of Washington, devoted to helping couples build and maintain loving, healthy relationships, actually based on scientific studies. And so, from all the data over all these years they've gathered, he separates couples into two major groups. And he calls them the masters and the disasters. And after having met with them, the masters are still happily married after six years. That's this first cutoff. And the disasters had either already broken up or were chronically unhappy. And so when they looked at all the data, they saw some clear differences. He wanted to know how did this one group, the masters, create a culture of love and intimacy, and this other group would squash that. So he designed a lab at the University of Washington that looked like a beautiful bed and breakfast, and uh, he had people come in, and the whole place was wired up and videoed, and he uh, uh, blocked off the bedrooms and the bathrooms, uh, but everything else they observed. And he had 130 couples, newlywed couples, come spend a day there and just hang out, like they were on vacation. And he made a critical discovery, and he claims he can predict with 94% certainty uh, whether couples will uh, be together uh, or break up, be happy or unhappy, after six years. And he says the primary issue is, do they bring kindness and generosity to the relationship, or do they bring criticism and contempt? Now, this is not criticism in the form of critique. This is criticism in the form of insult. So, criticism with contempt in it. So, he says, there's a habit of mind that the masters have, which is they're scanning their social environment for things they can appreciate and say thank you for. Disasters scan their social environment for mistakes. And his wife particularly says it's scanning the partner for what the partner is doing right or scanning the partner for what the partner is doing wrong, and criticizing versus appreciating. They've found that contempt is the number one factor that tears couples apart. People who are focused on criticizing uh, their partners miss a whopping 50% of the positive things their partners actually do and they see negativity when it's not there. And often wind up giving uh, their partner the cold shoulder, deliberately ignoring them, responding minimally, Uh, and it damages the relationship to the other person feels that they're invisible, that they're not even seen anymore. And uh, it says people who treat their partners with contempt and criticize them not only kill off the love in the relationship, but also hurts their uh, partner's ability to physically fight off viruses and cancers, they've found that there's a much higher disease rate in those people who are in stressful, negative relationships. They're not totally sure why, they've sort of just made the connection. But he says, being mean is the death knell of relationships. On the other hand, kindness glues couples together. Research, their research shows that kindness is the single most important factor for satisfaction and stability. Makes people feel cared for, understood, valued, uh, in other words, loved. And he actually quotes Shakespeare, uh, Juliet, who says, My love as deep, the more I give to thee, the more I have, for both are infinite. And he says, that's how kindness works. The more I give, the more I have. And there's a great deal of evidence that shows that people who receive or witness kindness, then the more likely that they will be kind themselves. And uh, he says there's two ways to think about kindness. Uh, One is it's a fixed trait. You either have it or you don't. And the other is you think of it as sort of a muscle, something you can train. And he obviously argues in favor of the muscle uh, uh, analogy. And he says, you have to exercise it. You have to use it to keep it in shape. And that requires uh, hard work. And so, his counsel in all of these books, which are really good, but I would summarize it as, exercise kindness early and often. That's sort of the summary of like this whole guy's life and all his research. But I was thinking about this and reading through this, and and I do appreciate his books, and I thought, if that's true for marriage uh, in particular, if it's true for relationships in general, shouldn't it also be true for the church? After all, what are the analogies used to describe the church? One of them is the church is a family. In Ephesians 5, the relationship of Christ and uh, the church is described as a marriage. So how do we treat each other? when you're in conversation with someone and the name of someone else in the church comes up, is your first response one of criticism or kindness? Because one of the things the Proverbs makes clear is that kindness affects others. Kindness affects others. It's clear from the scriptures, we're supposed to show kindness. We're supposed to do good to other people. Uh, Galatians 6, The apostle Paul writes, let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So it's clear we're supposed to be involved in the lives of others, particularly in the lives of people in our church. Lots of passages that tell us to take care of one another. There's 40-some one another passages in the Bible. But here in Proverbs, we read in Proverbs 3, verse 27 and 28, it says, Do not withhold good from those to whom it is due, when it is in your power to do it. Do not say to your neighbor, go and come again. Tomorrow I will give it when you have it with you. Not doing well this morning. Anyway, the main point is in those first four words. Do not withhold good. We shouldn't shrink back. We shouldn't turn away when we have the opportunity to show kindness placed before us. (coughs) Excuse me. And the writer of Proverbs is telling us to do good to those who deserve it He says, do not withhold good from those to whom it is due. But it also implies there's some people who may not deserve it. And there's sort of two groups of those people. Uh, Some, it's clear, we are not to show kindness to them. We are to show love to them. That's different. Well, one of those cases is found in Thessalonians 3. Some folks quit working in order to live off the church. And the Apostle Paul rebukes them and in no uncertain terms tells them to get back to work. He says, if you don't work, you don't eat. That's pretty straightforward. But I think that's not a common case. I think the common case is to find people who haven't done anything to deserve our kindness to whom we show kindness anyway. And we do that as a means of bringing glory to God. Some cases are easy. Small children who can't do anything to deserve our kindness, but we show kindness to them. Uh, Folks with special needs, with physical or mental disabilities, they may not be able to do anything to earn or deserve our kindness. But we should show kindness to them anyways as a means of glorifying God. And I think this kind of kindness is actually reflecting the heart of Jesus. Jesus himself said in Luke chapter 14, He said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. Now I said at the beginning here, that relationships in general, marriages in particular, last or fail depending on how we respond to each other. And we can respond with contempt or kindness. Now, I'm not going to give you the name of someone who responds with contempt uh, because that wouldn't be kind. But it's easy to give you the name of somebody who responds with kindness. When I thought about that, the very first name that came to mind was Bonnie Libby. Many of you remember Bonnie. Uh, For those that didn't know her, she was a much-loved church member, much-loved professor at Patrick Henry College. And she passed away in November of 2012. And among the many reasons that she was much-loved, one of them is surely that she was so kind. Looking around, people are starting to cry already. I did the eulogy at her memorial service, and at the time I said this. I can remember Bonnie sitting at our dinner table listening to my children tell their tales of what was going on in their life, the activities of athletics and orchestra. I can picture Bonnie leaning in with a smile and saying, really, that's fascinating. And then what happened? Bonnie was captivated by the stories of those around her. She loved others and she put them first. When new folks visited our church, very often, the first person to engage them in conversation was Bonnie. She was there in the nursery and Sunday school and various small groups and always out visiting so many. She even signed up to clean the church office. And I always found it so humbling that this amazing woman emptied my trash can. And she did it with a smile. Bonnie was a great example of kindness. So just as kindness affects others, it also affects us. It also affects us. Proverbs chapter 11, verses 16 and 17 says, A gracious woman gets honor, and violent men get riches. A man who is kind benefits himself, but a cruel man hurts himself. I like the way that verse is translated in the Living Bible. I know it's not as accurate, but I just like the way they translated it. It says, Your own soul is nourished when you are kind. It is destroyed when you are cruel. And I think what Proverbs 11:17 says is true, regardless of what translation you prefer. Our souls are nourished when we're kind. Kindness doesn't just benefit the other person, it benefits us as well. Certainly shouldn't be your only motivation for being kind, but it's an undeniable benefit. Generally speaking, when we do good, we feel good. It doesn't mean we have a right to get all self-righteous or demand that other people see the good that we do. Um, But there is this humbling experience, what I would call a sense of calm and quiet, when we've seen God do something in the life of another person, and we realized he used us in the process. There's this sort of soft, wow, that was really cool, moment uh, when that happens. I remember one time very early in my ministry, um, I was driving uh, back from lunch, and uh, I drove by an apartment building, and one of the single women in the church lived uh, there in that building, and I noticed her car was out front, and I thought that was odd because she should be at work. So I don't know what was going on, but I was really sensing uh, sort of the Holy Spirit urging me to stop just this strong sense, I needed to check in. And I don't know why, and I just sort of pulled in, walked up, knocked on her front door, and I called out, Cindy, it's Dave, are you okay? And she opened the door and she just stood there, tears streaming down her face. And she looked at me and said, I just got fired. Oh my gosh, that was the last thing I was thinking. I thought, sure, she was going to be sick and... You know, we could bring soup, and chicken soup wasn't going to fix this. And I remember calling Joanne and saying, what should I do? Joanne said, well, tell her to come over. And uh, so she came over and stayed the rest of the day with us and had dinner and tried to give her a chance to process what happened and make some plans for the next few days. Now, what would have happened if I hadn't stopped to check? What would have happened if I ignored what I thought was a prompting of the Holy Spirit? which I'm sure I've actually ignored countless times. Uh, but that time, when reflecting on it later, I realized that God was at work in all of our lives, even if we're not fully aware of it at the time. And I remember wondering, you know, I think, I think that's the way it's supposed to work. And when I'm walking closely with the Lord, that kind of stuff happens more often. And when I'm not walking so closely with the Lord, that stuff happens less often. And usually I don't figure it out until after the fact. And I don't think that's uncommon. So sometimes it's just a matter of paying attention and knocking on the door and asking. Another thing that's hard to figure out about kindness is knowing when's enough. None of us have unlimited resources, the church doesn't have unlimited resources, and sometimes you just can't help. You simply don't have the resources. But other times you can help some, but you can't do everything. And that's because sometimes kindness is limited. I think there's a good example of that in the parable of the Good Samaritan. If you remember the story found in Luke 10, a man's beaten by robbers, left for dead. Several religious types pass by but don't help. But one man stops. And pick up the story in Luke 10. I'm just going to read two verses. And it says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine, and he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. Now Jesus commends the Samaritan's kindness and commends his followers to do likewise. But notice it's not a call to indiscriminate or unlimited kindness. The Samaritan did a great deal for this man, but he didn't do everything. He didn't cancel his trip. He sort of handed him off to people at the inn to take care of him, and even though he came back and paid for it, the scripture's on silent on whether or not he did anything else for this man. Now, it's a parable. It's a story Jesus told. It's not likely a historical narrative, but parables have principles, and one principle is clearly is show kindness when you have opportunity to do so. And a good Samaritan shows kindness when he has the power to do so in the manner that the Holy Spirit led him to do it. And I think that's what God's calling us to do. Show kindness when you have the ability to do so in the manner the Holy Spirit leads you to do it. No more, no less. Now, some of you have been waiting for this part. As you know, I posted an assignment for you on our Facebook page and our Facebook group. One's public, one's private. And obviously, I hope uh, that you would see that uh, post and respond, and many of you did, and it was wonderful. And I asked the question, what is the kindest thing that has ever been done for you by another person at Potomac Hills? And rather than tell you uh, what you need to be doing, I just want to share some examples of kindness. Because again, the verse I read at the beginning, Proverbs 21:21 21, 21, says, "Whoever pursues righteousness and kindness will find life, righteousness and honor." I don't know who has the clicker. I have a slide um, up. That's Kara Tippett and Blythe Hunt. And some of you remember last February I shared her story. Kara, at the time, was dying from cancer. She died in March. Um, and she had a blog called Mundane Faithfulness. And Blythe and some of her friends have maintained the blog. And they're mostly sharing stories of lessons that they learned from Kara. And uh, Blythe recently shared, after reading, they published a quick uh, e book that Kara had written before she died. Uh, called Big Love, The Practice of Loving Beyond Your Limits. You can take that slider, advance to the next uh, blank. Anyway, she wrote about reading Kara's chapter on kindness and how it led her to study the scriptures about kindness and to seek out other women to help her. And she writes, I always equated kindness with niceness. If you held the door open for a person just to be nice, I thought you were being kind. If you paid for the coffee of the soldier in line behind you at the coffee shop, I thought you were being nice. If you spent your morning shoveling the snowy walk for your neighbor, I thought you were being ridiculously nice in a way that I would never be nice. But what I learned is kindness is different. It's part of our new identity as Christians. It's a fruit of the Spirit. It involves sacrifice. It means putting someone else above yourself. That noted counselor Gary Chapman says, Kindness means noticing someone else and recognizing his or her needs. It means seeing the value in every person we meet. And like every trait of a loving person, kindness can be much simpler and much more powerful than we realize. And Blyth concluded her comments by saying, as I reflected on these truths that were new to my heart, I realized, first of all, I never read anything in the Bible about being nice. It was all about kindness. And there is a lot in there about being kind. And I realize kindness can make a huge difference. So here are the examples of kindness you shared with me. I've taken out all the names and hopefully most of the identifying uh, features and shortened most of them so as not to take away from these examples. One area where you send in examples is where we dis- demonstrate kindness as compassion. Kindness as compassion. Here's the blanks. There's only a few That's very nice. Uh, this week. I was kind. Um, But one of our students wrote, For years, Potomac Hills felt like my parents' church, not my church. Last year, one of my parents had a health crisis, and I came home from being at the hospital all day and found a church member in our house on our hands and knees cleaning our bathrooms. What an unbelievably selfless way to exemplify Christ. Another person wrote, when my husband had surgery, he was needy. Hard to believe that. Um, needy and in a lot of pain. He had a constant stream of visitors. Men came and played hearts with him, talked with him, and distracted him. Love that. It was a beautiful side to our church family I hadn't witnessed before. I've said for years uh, some of the most tired people in our church are the moms of toddlers. Here's what one of them said. The kindest thing that anyone has done for me at Potomac Hills was to help us out with transportation for my son. He wouldn't have been able able to participate in preschool this year if we hadn't had someone pick him up and take him to his babysitter's house. Two ladies went out of their way on Tuesdays to pick him up all year long. It was amazing because it wasn't just a one-time thing, but a long-term commitment. Oh, that was awesome. Another area where you send in examples is where we demonstrate kindness as welcome. Kindness as welcome. One person wrote that I had been in and out of Potomac Hill several times, and so when I came back, I was feeling a bit awkward. Like I wouldn't have been surprised if people just looked at me and thought, her again? Why on earth is she back? To my surprise, I was greeted so warmly by so many people, and one of those people Not only did she greet me warmly with a big genuine smile, she greeted me by name. I hadn't seen her in years and was never close with her, and I couldn't even remember her name. I felt humbled, but so welcomed and loved. Leaving church that morning, my awkward feelings disappeared, and I felt as if I had come home. I just loved. Look at the front of your bulletin. What does it say? Welcome home. That's what we want. We want people to feel they've come home. Along the same line, someone wrote, I think one of the kindest things someone has done for me is to introduce me to somebody new at church by saying, have you met my friend Mike, or Bill, or Dave? It's a sign of kindness when you're identified as part of a personal relationship instead of just a corporate one. I thought that was pretty cool. So the kindest thing is... Just identifying the friendship there, introducing to a new friend. I can't tell you how many people wrote in about being invited over for lunch, uh, how warmly they were welcome when they visited Potomac Hills. Another area you sent in examples is where we demonstrate kindness as presents. Not presents for Christmas, but presents in terms of showing up. Um, You know, as uh, uh, Andy led us in prayer earlier, we have a missions team in Nassau, Bahamas this week. And they're ministering down there with St. Andrew's Kirk. And uh, there's a green sheet in your bulletin with some ways that you can pray for them. But the most important thing they're going to do this week is simply be there. Maybe the talks will go fine or not. But the fact that they're there to give them speaks volumes. Maybe the VBS they do will be highly successful, or not. But I think it means a lot to those kids that our team is spending time with them. It's a great example of kindness as presence, because sometimes you just have to show up. Another person wrote in, about two Christmases ago, there was a dangerous snowstorm on the night of our church Christmas party. The roads were bad, and since we just have two small cars and no desire to rack them up, we called into the host that we couldn't chance it. One man drove his SUV over to pick us up and then took us home so we could attend the Christmas party. Oh, that was cool. Another person wrote in, the kindest thing anyone from Potomac Hills has personally done for me is to show complete hospitality when clearly she could be doing a million more urgent things. So here's the kind act that stands out in my mind. I was in a joy group last year. Those are the mentoring groups that the women's ministry runs during the school year. So on the morning, we all planned to meet. The other ladies ended up canceling at the last minute, and she could have easily postponed our meetup for another day or just canceled completely. It was, as I clearly remember, a very busy time for her family, but she welcomed me over, and just the two of us talked over her homemade breakfast. She didn't even try to wrap things up quickly. She spent quality time with me and showed true interest in me. It was wonderful. I'm so thankful for her genuine kindness. So that's another, kindness is presence. Sometimes you just have to show up. And finally, an example where we demonstrate kindness as giving. Kindness as giving. Last February, Bryn McPhail was here. He's the pastor of St. Andrews Kirk. Uh, where our mission team is right now, and he came up and spoke to our men's retreat. And when he left, we gave him some things to bring back uh, for the children in the poor neighborhood where they're ministering, uh, where our team is ministering today. And when he left, he posted this note on our Facebook group. I can't thank the members of Potomac Hills enough for their kindness and generosity in sending me back with 26 dress shirts and 24 pairs of shoes for children in need in Nassau, Bahamas. Thank you. Proverbs 14.31 says, Whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. And Proverbs 19.17 says, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. So let me plug the deacons again. Over the last few years, the deacons have distributed something in the neighborhood of $8,000 to help people out. The vast majority of those funds went to people in the church. and Over the years, through the deaconate fund, they've paid for counseling, utilities, moving expenses, security deposits, medical bills, dental expenses, even rent, and even a mortgage payment. Not to mention all the physical work uh, that they've done themselves. This summer, our deacons fund is going to drop below $2,000 for the first time in a long time. Perhaps you can make an extra contribution over and above your regular tithe check to help the deacons continue to serve people. It may be kindness on your part to write a check, but surely it will help them show kindness on all of our parts. So those are some great examples of kindness. But also, we have to realize our kindness is founded on the kindness of God. Our kindness is founded on the kindness of God of God. God's kindness has a purpose, and it's not just to show us what a swell guy he is. Romans 2 says, do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? See, the vast majority of the time that God's kindness is mentioned in the scriptures, it's connected with God's saving grace. And so when we look up all those verses that specifically mentions God's kindness or his kindness, I have a few just listed there in your uh, bulletin, we learn a very important lesson about the kindness of God, that God's kindness is unlimited and God's kindness is ultimate. Let me just read two quick <coughs> verses that point that out to us. Ephesians 2 teaches us that God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you've been saved, and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Great example of the description of the gospel at work there. Verse 7, So in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. Titus 3 reminds us, when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of the works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. When the loving kindness of God our Savior uh, appeared, he saved us there's this constant connection in the New Testament between God's kindness and our salvation. And we kind of miss the point if we don't make that connection. God's kindness is leading us to faith and repentance. And while we're commanded to show kindness to others, God's kindness goes far beyond anything we can do. It leads us to the saving knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. That's why I'm saying God's kindness is ultimate, because it's eternal. It meets our greatest need to be reconciled to God through Christ. Have you ever wondered why we feel good when we show kindness? I think one of the main reasons is that we're made in the image of God, who is by nature kind. It means that he, and therefore we, have this enormous capacity for showing kindness. And each time we live up to that, I guess you would call it a kindness potential, I think we can sense the affirmation of the Holy Spirit that however feebly uh, we we're doing this, we're trying to demonstrate one of the communicable attributes of God. That means it's an attribute of God that he shares with us. Things like love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, the fruit of the Spirit. All means by which God is revealed through the attitudes and actions of his people. God has created us to be like him, and despite the effects of the fall, is ever shaping us, even now, into the image of his son. So even when we reflect God's kindness through such simple acts as a gracious word or a quick hug and a prayer, we're demonstrating a new way of life for those made in the image of God who are being remade into the image of his son. I think one of the greatest examples of kindness in the Bible is the story of David David and Mephibosheth. I love that name, Mephibosheth. I think some of you should consider it for your children. We're done having children, so we can no longer consider it. But, you know, some of you, I think. Uh... Anyways, it's a story of David showing kindness to someone who, as Jesus said, cannot repay him. It's a long story. I'm just going to read a couple verses from 2 Samuel chapter 9. It says, And David the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth. And he answered, Behold, I am your servant. David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father, and you shall eat at my table always. Remember the story of King David. He lived at the epicenter of violence and power struggles that are common to our world. And the two books of Samuel contain this litany of bloody stories. Even as King Saul turned his back on God, David killed his fair share of enemies in his ascent to Saul's throne. And then you get the story of Mephibosheth, and it's coming in like a breath of fresh air. David has driven Israel's enemies out of the land. And the custom is, you know, if you take over for a king, uh, you basically wipe out his family. You, You can't think, king's gone, you kill the princes because you don't want them to come up and compete against you. And that's what people have done for thousands of years. I'm not saying it's good, but um, that's what's happened. They slaughtered the potential heirs to the throne. But instead, David asks if there's a member of Saul's household to whom he can show kindness. And he discovers his grandson, Mephibosheth. He's been injured in childhood and is now crippled. It says, in both feet. And he's the son of Jonathan, who's David's best friend. And he can do nothing to deserve the kindness David showed him. He couldn't buy it. He couldn't earn it. He couldn't claim it. He had nothing to offer for it. He could never repay the king. And we can't forget that Mephibosheth is Saul's grandson. He could make a legitimate claim for the throne as the sole surviving heir of King Saul. He could have easily become one of David's rivals. And David knows this, but still the king sets him up for life, even making uh, Mephibosheth a member of his own household and having him eat at his table. And David did this despite all the evil that Saul had perpetrated on him. His kindness was a foreshadowing of the better things to come through Christ. Just as David looked across the table at the face of Mephibosheth, And he saw the features of his beloved friend, Jonathan. So one day we'll sit at another king's table, just as undeserving and just as lame, and the king will look across the table into our face and see the features of his beloved son. Because when the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Finally, this is the last example I share, and I've shortened it quite a bit, but one person wrote, y'all have actually been among the kindest people I've ever met. I've been meaning to compliment y'all on that, but I couldn't figure out how to do it well. But if you're looking for the kindest thing, I'd have to say Potomac Hills is fantastic at showing hospitality and rallying around me to meet every need I found myself up against. Families have welcomed me into their homes, their hearts, and their arms without hesitation. Everyone has loved and welcomed me. I had no idea that Christians could be so nice until I met you guys. I've never been loved by so many people before. Thank you. Thank you. Now it's time to thank God. Take a moment to do that, and then I'll close. pray together. Our Lord and our God, thank you that you have spoken to us by your word. Remind us again that when the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us. Don't let us take that for granted. Help us to reflect the kindness of God by showing kindness with our own lives. And this we pray in the name of the King, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen.